Hey, everybody. Good afternoon. It's so good to be back. I've been uh, traveling and filming a documentary and a little busy, so the episodes haven't been coming quite as freely, but we're back and we're here with one of my absolute favorite people in the world, uh, Kieran from Microbiome Labs. And we're going to talk about some new products they have and why you need to know about this content. It's so cutting edge. And I just love the science that he always brings to our conversations. Um, I'm going to formally introduce him, but before I do, you guys know where to find me. If you've seen uh, missed any past episodes, you can find them all on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. Those are the audio versions. And if you want to see the videos, um, you can find them on my YouTube channel, which is just under my name. We now have over 80 episodes, so they're all there for your watching pleasure. And uh, we've been on before with Kieran, so please go back and check out that episode. It was fantastic, full of great content. We were um, talking about all kinds of things, including spraying probiotics up the nose. So <laughs> you'll want to catch that and catch what we talked about there. Um, you can find me at jillcarnahan.com, free blogs, free resources there. And if you want any of these products, I'll be sure to include the links, but you can find them at Microbiome Labs or on my website, Jill Carn or, sorry, drjillhealth.com. Um, so without further ado, I will introduce Kieran Krishnan. Um, he's a research microbiologist that's been involved in the dietary supplement and nutritional market for the past 18 years. He comes from a university research background, having spent several years with hands-on in R&D fields of molecular medicine and microbiology at the University of Iowa. He established a clinical research organization where he designed and conducted dozens of human clinical trials in human nutrition. He's also co-founder and partner in New Science Trading, LLC, a nutritional technology development and research company, and he's co-founder and chief science officer at Microbiome Labs. He is a frequent lecturer on the human microbiome. I always love your content, Karen. And again, I love talking to you because you bring the great research there. Um, and he's been an expert guest on many, many outlet shows, national and satellite radio podcasts, you name it. He's been there. Um, always love those lectures. He's currently involved in 16 novel human clinical trials on probiotics and the human microbiome and on the scientific advisory board um, for seven other companies in the industry. This is one of the reasons I love talking with you because you bring this great science. Um, and I never support companies that I don't believe in. You're not paying me to do this interview. And right. I just want people to know that because um, I really, I think I've said this before, but I'm just going to start really briefly. 20 years ago, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease right after breast cancer, super aggressive. And the only thing I knew was there was this one weird probiotic that worked when everything else failed. And guess what? It was a spore. <laughs> and I didn't know at the time it was a bacillus spore. And I had no idea what it was or why it worked or why I only needed one capsule to do the same as these other ones. And the other ones really made me worse. And they were the typical lactobacillus bifidobacter that is being peddled. Again, there's no problem with that for some people, but there's something very different about spores. Um, you've told your story before too. What I want to do is just briefly review, like, how did you get into this? And then let's dive into this new line. And how did you get into looking at probiotics that can affect the brain, the sleep, the stress? Yeah, of course. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me, Jill. It's always a, an honor and a pleasure. I always love our conversations, whether it's on air or off air. So um, always a pleasure to be on. So thank you so much for having me. Um, so yeah, I, I got into this because uh, my passion of microbiology is really about exploring kind of the unseen universe around us, right? I was either going to be a physicist or a microbiologist. That was one of the two paths I was going down, because in both cases, you're exploring kind of un known forces that impact our lives on a daily basis, 
without most people really realizing it. And then when you get to study it, you realize how profound it is in our outcomes, right? And so um, since my math is not as great as it should be, I definitely went the microbiology route, which uh, worked out better for me uh, anyway. And so uh, when, you, when you get into studying microbiology, especially when you get into clinical microbiology, the focus often becomes on pathogens and, yeah. and the, patho the pathology of the pathogenic disease, right? Um, and so how do microbes infect and what is the process of infection and all of that. Um, and that was very interesting to me. Those were, that was one of the most exciting areas of research work that I was doing early on in my career. But then you come to really realize soon that, uh, you know, of all the organisms discovered, microorganisms discovered, 99.9% .9 of them are either benign or, or beneficial in some way, right? And so the, the small, tiny 0.1% or so that can cause illness uh, in a in a specific way, get a lot of the limelight, right? That's that's who we all think about when we think about organisms. So it became a, a real um, natural fit for me to go. What about the other ninety nine point nine percent, right? We we really need to know and understand those a little bit better. And so my whole world kind of started shifting in wanting to understand the rest of the microbes. And in fact, the ones that make up the vast majority of what we encounter. And, and soon around then the human microbiome project started kicking off by the NIH, which was really trying to study our ecosystem, which is a big chunk of that 99.9% .9 of beneficial benign bacteria. So for me, the human microbiome became the place to go into. It was of course, this dark abyss of unknowns, which is which is exactly what drives me, right? So it's it's starting off in the being lost in this space that is immense, and then looking for solutions and connections and connecting the dots. So for me, it was a it was a natural fit, and um, part of the reason why we founded the company Microbiome Labs. The whole idea is that is to um, you know take doctors like yourself that are on the front lines working with patients with complex issues and then utilizing the power of the microbiome to provide therapeutics that can really make a difference, right? Because you don't have the time to do that work. Your patient's not doing that work. You are working with the patients. We're not doing that work. So we have to be behind the scenes working through the research to really line up all the dots so that at the end of the day, the patient has a, uh, has a solution, right? So um, I found that to be a great fit for us um, and for me personally. And so that's where we've been for the last 10 years or so focusing on it. Yeah. And my experience, again, I, I didn't know what this thing was that helped me 20 years ago. It was just a strange one strain thing. And it's a, mm -hmm. it's a score. But the thing that's so fascinating to me is you guys brought the research that's very compelling and it's always been that way. And one of the things I respect about you is you bring great research to this world and this realm that hasn't always had great research. Like a lot of the companies, I don't feel like have the same level. And then not only that, that matters, but what matters to me is in the clinic, I give it to a patient. Does it work? Right. Yep. And over and over and over and over again what i saw which is why i'm here talking to you is it works it yeah. works the, the spores work so for before we go into these new ones that talk about the stress response and the gut brain access and i have another little story about that we'll go to that in a minute let's just talk about spores in general we've talked about this before but i think it's so critical for patients to understand number one number of millions of colonies isn't where it's all at right. why is that and what makes spores different yeah, so the, the CFU count is not the basis of 
um, of, of efficacy of product, right? So, so the market went kind of crazy and haywire because the market was not driven by science. So it, it was driven by megalomaniacal marketing thinking, right? Yes. Where the idea is that if three is good, six must be better. And if 10 billion is good, 50 billion must be better. And so as companies started to compete with each other on the shelf for what looked better on the label, they just kept upping the game for higher and higher and higher potency. And since there's no establishment on, you know, that governs probiotic dosing and all of that stuff, like we have an RDI for vitamins, right? So yeah. you know, okay, here is the, the minimum daily amount you need. Here's the, reg, the, the recommended daily allowance. And then you have maximum threshold doses and all that for most of these vitamins. We didn't have that kind of structure for the probiotic industry. So then marketing just drove it haywire. Yeah. I, you know, I've been a consultant for lots of companies in the last uh, decade and a half. And I've been the scientific voice in many of these formulation discussions. And you sit in the meetings and they're like, okay, so we're going to do a product. We're going to have 17 strains and 50 billion CFUs. They've already decided. I'm like, what is the basis for 17 strains? Like, where'd you come up with that number? And, and it's, well, their closest competitor that they're fighting for shelf space has right. 15 strains, right? And so they want just a little bit more. And then they have 30 billion. So we want 50 billion, but we want 50 billion and 17 strains for the same price. Yes, as yes. the 30 billion and 50 billion million strains, which means, uh, or 15 strains, which means that you need to get lower quality strains yeah. at a lower price to meet that amount, right? So then you're buying literally tanker loads of lactobacillus acidophilus for mm -hmm. nothing. You know, you can buy yeah. a shipping container of this stuff out of China that costs nothing and you could make millions of bottles for a dollar. Yeah. Right. And sell it at nine dollars and make a killing. But and that's kind of where the probiotic industry yeah. started going, you know, and it's, uh, it was unfortunate. And clinically, what I see is, number one, there are strains of lactobacillus that increase histamine. So I have a patient with mast cell activation. I have patients with mold illness. And some of these patients get worse on the wrong strain. So it does matter. These cheaps, right. again, it's not that they're all cheap, but some of these strains like lactobacillus casei, for example, often will increase histamine. So right. that matters. And then number two, if you have dysfunction with digestion, absorption, motility, and proneness to overgrowth of small bowel bacteria, sometimes adding to that mix with good normal strains that are human compatible does not help patients. It makes them worse. Have you seen that as well? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that, that's been one of our big, um, you know, gripes with the industry in general is that you can't just combine dozens of strains you know, that are number one, not well characterized, right? So the studies have also shown, this was a study published in Nature in 2017, where they took a bunch of probiotic products, kids' probiotic products off the shelf, and they analyzed them, and 94% of them had the wrong strains in the capsule than what was claimed on the label, right? Because people are not doing the genetic analysis that's required to verify that what they're buying from the, in that container load is the actual yeah. strain that they think it is, right? Uh, it just looks like a powder. How can you tell? Is it acidophilus? Is it casei? Is it ruteri? What is it? Um, or is it any of those at all, right? And, and what is the contamination level and so on? And so what we were always griping against is that if you're just loading your system with tens of billions of CFUs of these unknown, uncharacterized species, 
Number one, you may be competing with your own indigenous uh, bacteria, right? Because if, if lactobacilli that's coming in is somewhat similar to your lactobacilli, but, and we don't know the exact mechanism of action of how it works, it may be competing for binding sites and all that with your own endogenous species. Yeah. And, and number two, if nothing else, if they're just dying through the stomach, they're loading your, mic your microbiome and your system with genetic material that is unknown, right? We don't know what that is because these companies are not doing proper genetic analysis and gene typing and blast searches and all that on these, on these bacteria to really understand what they hold within them, right? And that genetic part of it to me is even scarier because you don't know what genes these microbes are carrying, right? That, and, and, and as you dump tens of billions of these bacteria into your system every single day, and you're exposing your microbiome to those genes, it can make foundational changes to how your microbiome functions in ways that we wouldn't, we couldn't predict at the moment, right? Without them doing the studies. And so for us, it's always been critically important that any company that does a probiotic product, and it doesn't matter what species it is, right? There are many different effective species. Um, you have to study it, right? You have to show what it does in the microbiome. You have to show what it does to the rest of the microbiome. You have to show what it does to the immune system. You have to really characterize the bacteria properly. And so we just have way too much in this industry of just what I call kitchen sink formulas, right? Just yeah. throw everything together um, and let's make it the biggest sounding number. And that means it's really effective. Yeah. And, and, and hopefully what we're trying to do is set the bar high to go, okay, guys, here's are the basics we need to do to have an efficacious probiotic. I love that. And again, I would rather have someone not take a probiotic than just grab one off the counter at Walgreens and not know what they're taking. Now, some of those strains have been studied, but not all of them. Um, yeah. so two questions come to my mind, and then I still want to get to the new products. Um, one is uh, I've heard a lot in the last decade on soil-based probiotics mm -hmm. and um, there, those do contain spores, but my understanding is a lot of times they're again, not studied. And those were the very small cases. I recall there was a case of pancreatitis with these un the strains that had no um, evidence behind them because some of them became very aggressive. What's right. your comment on why, like the strains that you guys have studied that are spores and are from the soil at the root, but these random large soil-based things, I actually deter patients away from them because we don't really know. Do you want to comment on that soil-based organisms? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we actually, there was an early on product when we first came out um, that we were always very nervous about. And then that product eventually came off the market, I believe. Um, but again, it's because they had this mass of really uncharacterized organisms that they just characterize as soil based, right? right. And you just don't know what's in there. Yeah. Um, and, and unless you know what each of the players are, you really don't understand what the functionality is going to be in the gut. Uh, and it's true. Some of those could be opportunistic. Some of those could have, you know, virulence factors that, that we don't know about. And most companies in our space don't have the scientific capability of studying these types mm -hmm. of things, right? So that's the big problem. They don't know how to take a microbe and do full end-to-end -end sequencing and gene blasting and understanding all of the proteins that the microbes produce and all that. But what they do really well at is just very quickly put a marketing story together, you know, grab a bunch of ingredients from a bunch of different suppliers, put it all together and call it a product. And so when this whole phenomenon of soil-based probiotics came about, 
you know, the, the general idea behind it is okay. The problem is you cannot have a big mix of uncharacterized bacteria, yeah. but you just don't know. It's you're setting yourself up for disaster because there's going to be something in there that's going to cause somebody some illness, right? And that's a big problem. Now with our, with our products, even though spore uh, bacillus endospores are known to be ubiquitous in the environment, we actually went the, the further step of specifically isolating bacillus endospores that are commensal to the gut microbiome, right? Yeah. Um, so all of the spores that we work with actually came from healthy human volunteers rather than coming from the yeah. environment. Now, yeah. if, initially, they probably came from the environment, ended up in humans, you know, uh, basically adapted to being much more uh, savvy within the human microbiome rather than the outside, because you'll find, for example, subtilis Yes, that yes. is better adapted to be outside than subtilis that's adapted to be in the gut, right? Mm -hmm. And and what we wanted was subtilis that's adapted to be in the gut. Uh, and then you have to take them and then you have to do full genome analysis to make sure there's no virulence factors, there's no toxin production. Right. They Their chromosomes are very stable, meaning uh, through irradiation and uh, antibiotic use and all that, they don't shift and create yes. antibiotic resistance. So you have to do all of those kind of studies to make sure these are safe bacteria. Um, and unfortunately, 98, 99% of the companies in our space just don't do that kind of yeah. stuff. No, this is great because people understand what goes into making a great product and, and why I think they're so effective. Interesting, just a little tidbit on inflammatory bowel disease. We know patients like myself with the um, genetics NOD genes for Crohn's. What happens is, because this background, I think will help people understand our conversation. All it is, is someone like me has an abnormal immune response to normal microbiome, which means I could have a very inflammatory response to something that's actually a resident in my gut. That's not a pathogen. So right. that could be like some strain of, and then there's also, you and I talk a lot about endotoxemia. Um, mm -hmm. Just briefly, if you're listening, endotoxemia is basically when the bacterial coatings leak from the gut lumen into the bloodstream. And they are one of the most potent inflammatory triggers for heart disease, obesity, mood disorders, which again, we're going to get to in a second. Um, and so it's so relevant because it's not just about uh, planting a seed like a probiotic and having it grow and flourish. It's actually about communication in the body. These probiotics are actually messengers and they communicate with the immune system. And if you have a permeable gut or immune dysfunction or proneness to autoimmunity, it matters because it could send the wrong message. And then all of a sudden you're down the road to some autoimmune disease because you've got the wrong milieu of microbiome. So just a little bit of... Um, uh, framing that so patients understand why we're so talking so much about the species. So let's move to these new, I'm so excited about the, the um, Zenbiome Cope and Zenbiome Sleep. Yeah. Tell us first, like, how did you get into this? Now we know yeah. the gut brain connection, and then let's talk about these products and what they might do for patients. Yeah, so um, this is this is a super exciting area for us. So the gut brain connection has always been uh, something that's been on my radar and our and our microbiome labs team's radar for years. Um, you know, number one because of the incredible prevalence of um, anxiety, depression, sleep disorders in society today, right? And yes. we're not even talking about people with major depressive disorders or really bad anxiety where you can't leave the right. house, right? That's there. Um, but the vast majority of people, and, and unfortunately, I think it's somewhere around 30 to 40% of the total population suffers 
from kind of functional depression and anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. Meaning that they're experiencing daily anxiousness. There's, they're, uh, they're basically facing daily levels of depression. And then in, in many cases, they're kind of self-medicating in yep. many different ways, right? Whether it's drinking wine all day long, or it's like, you know, addiction to food or addiction to other substances, you know, whatever it may be, but they're self-medicating most of the time. And, and they're in this weird limbo where their condition is not severe enough for them to go, okay, I need to go see a psychiatrist and get a diagnosis and go through all of that mm -hmm. process. Um, you know, and number two, they don't want to get a diagnosis because once you get a diagnosis, then yeah. you're on that mm -hmm. drug regimen. Right. And I know, and, and, uh, the vast majority of the population is very concerned about starting down that path of SSRIs and anti-anxiety meds and so on. And so in a, in a, in a um, attempt to avoid all of that, they basically try to deal with it, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's meditation apps and, and life mm -hmm. and wellness things and um, mindfulness work and, and then lots of self-medication too. And so we, you know, we realize that that's a big issue. And we also realize that, from a therapeutic standpoint, nothing has really changed in the world of psychiatric medicine, right? It's It's been basically the same class of drugs for 50, 60 years. It's same, same SSRI, same anti-anxiety meds, uh, just kind of different flavors to them to certain degrees. So the microbiome to us really presents a unique opportunity to get a grasp on the thing that the average person is dealing with. Yeah. Right. And to me, that's where we can really make the difference. It's not necessarily the patient that's so severe that needs yeah. to be hospitalized. It's the it's the mom, it's a dad, it's a student at school, the people that are experiencing sleeplessness, daily anxiety, yeah. daily stress that we know, you know, and I know because we do we read the studies, we do the lectures that that stress and anxiety and all is also driving things like leaky gut chronic inflammation, endotoxemia, setting them up for all kinds of other chronic illnesses down the road, right? So for us, this is a really, really important gap in therapeutics, uh, even within functional medicine. And so it became an area of focus for us. And when we break down the pathology, when we look at the gut-brain connection and what within the gut is either missing or creating a problem, we find really two big areas, right? So area number one is LPS, which we've already been dealing with through the spore-based probiotics or Megaspore. We know that high levels of LPS through endotoxemia, through leaking in into the blood, will be significantly disruptive to the brain function, right? LPS interferes with dopamine binding. It interferes with serotonin binding. It can turn things like tryptophan metabolism from being made into serotonin and melatonin instead to be made into things like kynorenin and quinolinic acid, which are neurotoxic, mm -hmm. right? We know that it creates inflammation in the brain. We know it triggers microglial activation. So we know LPS is highly toxic to the brain and has all kinds of mood and depressive disorders as, as, a, as a consequence, but we're already dealing with LPS really well with the spores. Mm -hmm. There's a second part that we weren't quite dealing with with the spore, with the megaspore as well, that we really wanted to dig into. And fortunately for us, we have a, an amazing partnership with a, with a group out of Ireland called Precision Biotics. And, and they've been specializing in this work for the last 15 years. Wow. And they've been working with uh, a group called the APC, which is the world's most 
renowned gut brain research uh, area in Cork, Ireland, right? And so a lot of this research has come out of there and our collaboration with, with, uh, with them. And, and of course, they've been working on this for the last decade and a half as well. So what we've come to find out and what seems to be quite clear is there's inflammation mediated stress response, right? So for your audience uh, to, to understand how that happens, like right? let's say you're driving down the road to work one day and then somebody cuts you off and that pisses you off, right? So you honk your horn, you flip the bird, you have exchange of whatever through the windshield and, uh, and that creates a bunch of stress in your system. So that's an external stressor. That external stressor, the first thing it's gonna trigger is your hypothalamus to start releasing corticotropin releasing hormone. And then you've got activation of your pituitary. And then finally your adrenals get activated and your adrenals release cortisol, right? So, so we'll pause there at the cortisol level. Now, the other side of that activation of the HPA is the activation of the sympathetic nervous system. And then the sympathetic nervous system's job is to get the body ready for flight or fight response, right? So one of the things it's doing is increasing heart rate, respiration rate, uh, vasodilation, but it, the sympathetic nervous system releases all these catecholamines that ends up activating the immune system. And it an ends up activating macrophages and microglia cells, which are kind of macrophages in the brain, if you will. And so those cells then release all of these inflammatory cytokines, things like NF-kappa-B, interleukin-6, interferon-alpha, and creates massive inflammation in the brain. Mm -hmm. Right. And massive inflammation throughout the body as well that can be measured. And so part of that sympathetic activation is about driving inflammation in the brain, driving exitotoxicity activity and, and starting down anything that would calm the system. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and all of that is just to get the body amped up and ready to go to fight or flight from whatever the danger is. Inflammation, of course, causes perfusion. Right. And so one of the things that I think the body's adapted to do is using the immune system as a way to drive blood to areas mm -hmm. that the body feels it needs it. So now you've had that external stressor. So now you have two outcomes working in parallel. One is cortisol levels are going up because of HPA activation, and you've got inflammation going up and, and uh, your respiratory rate and heart rate and all that is going up as well, right? So now you feel stress. This is the physiological feeling of stress. You're amped up, you're stressed out. Now, feeling stress is perfectly fine, right? That's a normal physiological feeling. We are geared to feel stress. What, what is the normal response then that tends to happen is cortisol keeps going up, as cortisol goes up, it starts to create a negative feedback loop for that whole mechanism, yep. right? We have these receptors all throughout our body called, called glucocorticoid receptors. As cortisol, as cortisol, levels, cortisol levels go up, it starts binding all the glucocorticoid receptors, which then send a negative feedback signal to shut down that whole system, yep. right? That becomes our recovery Mm -hmm. from that amped up stress, right? The whole idea is we're walking through the grasses, we see something scary, it amps us up, cortisol flies up, sympathetic system flies up, we run from the danger, we climb up a tree and hide. And once we're sitting up on the tree, we're supposed to be able to come down from all of it, right? Because if we don't come down from it, then 
we are constantly in a state of, of being amped up. The sympathetic system works against the parasympathetic system, right? Which means that we can't rest, digest, rebuild. We're always amped up, moving, uh, seeing a lot of uh, breakdown of tissue and, and creation of reactive oxygen species and oxidative stress. We're also full of inflammation because now the immune system is amped up uh, and the macrophages and all that are kicking off all of these uh, inflammatory cytokines. So all of this system is, is dependent on elevated cortisol reaching a point where it starts binding glucocorticoid receptors, and then that providing the negative feedback to bring down the whole system. But here's an interesting aspect of that whole system, how that works. The trigger or the linchpin for whether or not the negative feedback occurs hangs in the balance in the gut. There's a component in the gut that is absolutely critical to make sure this happens, the negative feedback happens, right? And we've outsourced this to microbes in the gut, yeah. right? Okay. So it's, it's, it's super interesting when you think about it from an evolutionary standpoint, our ability to, be, to, to experience stress, right? React to it, but then come down from it uh-huh. is dependent on the types of microbes we have within our gut, right? Uh-huh. Whether we are constantly stressed, can never come down from the stress and the stress progresses towards generalized anxiety and then depression with generalized anxiety, lack of sleep, of course, because we can't sleep when we're stressed up and our sympathetic system is up. Whether it progresses to that all depends on whether or not you have a particular type of microbial system in your gut. And we'll talk about what that is in a second, right? So that's where modern society is going, Mm -hmm. right? Modern society is at that place where we experience stress, but we just can't come down from it, yeah. right? It keeps building and building yeah. and building, right? So we yeah, have- Yeah, really no- quick, I was just gonna say, let's frame this in the, the sense of the pandemic, people have been on this like high alert, a fear yes. of getting sick, isolating, and it's just going on and on and on and on. So depending yes. on where you are in the world, it doesn't really matter. So so we're in a time and error where this is the most relevant it's ever been. Absolutely. The, the timing couldn't be better, mm-hmm. right? We need this kind of thoughts and solutions more now than we ever have. Um, and, and, you know, our microbiomes are probably more dam- damaged now than yeah. they've ever been, you know, in the, in the recent history because of all of the over-sanitization and isolation. Well, you know this, but just a little fa- fun fact, um, anger and fear can preferentially destroy lactobacillus and allow things yeah. like clostridia to proliferate. So it even totally our emotions does. actually change negatively the, the uh, aspects of our microbiome. They do. And, uh, and since you bring that up, you know, so there's lots of opportunistic organisms within the gut microbiome and the total microbiome that that respond to stress hormone signaling, whether it's cortisol or epinephrine or norepinephrine, they respond and, and exercise their virulence factors wow. when those levels are high because they know that the host's immune system is suppressed and the host metabolic system is suppressed. So that's their opportunity mm-hmm. to actually express themselves and win yeah. uh, in, the, in the population fight, right? So yes, absolutely. Studies have shown over and over again that multiple bouts, continuous bouts of stress and that stress response will end up actually creating more pathogenic bacteria, mm-hmm. viruses, and so on in your system uh, because of the stress itself and the way they respond to stress. So um, yeah, it, it's, it, it couldn't be more relevant right yeah. now, right? So, so the, the linchpin I was talking about, so, so here's what tends to happen if your gut is dysbiotic and you don't have the right 
microbial component in the gut. So cortisol, as the levels builds up, as we were talking about, part of it enters the gut, right? When cortisol goes into the gut, it actually increases intestinal permeability, mm -hmm. right? So cortisol leads to gut permeability. Now, the problem with that is it does so when your gut is dysbiotic and there isn't this checkpoint. And I'll talk about what that checkpoint is. But as your gut becomes permeable, endotoxins flow through. Of mm -hmm. course, LPS now has free reign to move up to your brain and screw up your brain even more like we talked about earlier. But the other consequence of, in, of intestinal permeability or leaky gut is a huge elevation of interleukin-6, right? Mm -hmm. Interleukin-6 being the quintessential cytokine for inflammation. When interleukin-6 is elevated, what it tends to do is it goes and it triggers the HPA axis again. Right. So IL-6 by itself can activate the HPA axis. Yeah. Right. So now you've got this rising cortisol levels, a good amount of it dumping into the gut, causing, causing leaky gut, causing an increase in IL-6. IL-6 yeah. activates the HPA axis again, causes more release of, of cortisol, which causes more leaky gut, which yeah. causes more HPA activation. Right. And here's the other kicker. Not only does it trigger HPA activation, it reduces the expression of glucocorticoid receptors. Those are those receptors that cortisol is supposed to bind to, to provide the negative feedback to shut all this down, uh -huh. right? So not only is the negative feedback loop now cut off, but the continuous amplification of the HPA axis is happening. Your gut is becoming more leaky. You're becoming more inflamed. You've got more LPS now dumping into the system, which yeah. puts you at risk for all of the chronic illnesses that we've talked about, you know, and, and you're moving towards this area of significant chronic issues, right? Significant chronic illness. And, and of course, while all the while you're not dealing with the stress, right? The coping centers of the brain for stress are not functioning, are not firing. You're not in the theta wave state. Your mm -hmm. brain wave activation is all off. So it's just a mess, but that's where the average person is right now, right? With stress and mood disorders and sleep disorders and all that. So here is that linchpin in the gut that makes all of the difference when cortisol enters into the GI tract, right? The big thing mm -hmm. is something called bacterial peptidoglycans. Mm -hmm. So peptidoglycans are this, these fascinating compounds that bacteria make that are basically like a uh, amino acid with glucose on it, right? so with, uh, with sugars on it. And <clears throat> some bacteria make it. And peptidoglycans, as it turns out, is important to you and your central nervous system from day one. So on, on, if, you're, if you're pregnant and you have, a, you have a baby in utero, on your placenta, you have bacterial peptidoglycan receptors and transporters. Right. So mom's gut bacteria who make peptidoglycan will release peptidoglycan into mom's circulation. Mm -hmm. That bacterial peptidoglycan will make its way to the placenta. It'll be bound by the peptidoglycan receptors. It'll be grabbed by the peptidoglycan transporters taken through the cord blood into the baby's brain. And the baby's brain has peptidoglycan receptors and transporters. And as the studies show, when the baby's brain binds these bacterial peptidoglycan, that becomes a key stimuli for the proliferation mm -hmm. of brain cells and the creation of synapses, so synaptogenesis, and the myelination of the baby's central nervous system. That's the putting on the insulation on the nervous system, on the nerve, on the neurons, and then the formation of the blood-brain barrier. So the development 
of our baby's brains and central nervous system is dependent on a bacterial byproduct, wow. right? Just think about the symbiosis of that. It's insane. We have outsourced one of the most important aspects of human development, yeah. bacteria, right? And, and a byproduct of bacteria. And it just, to me, that's the mind bogglingness of this connection that we have with microbes. Now, it's super important when you're in utero, but it's equally important when you're an adult as well, because peptidoglycans from bacteria are the checkpoint for how cortisol impacts the gut microbiome and the leakiness in the gut, right? So if you have adequate layer levels of peptidoglycan being produced in the gut by the right type of bacteria, that peptidoglycan will actually check the inflammation and permeability that cortisol creates. So it prevents that creation of intestinal permeability and it prevents the turning on of that inflammatory process in the gut. So it prevents the brain inflammation that cortisol can create through the gut microbiome. And in fact, the peptidoglycan will go as far as binding to, um, to certain types of cells mm -hmm. on the intestinal lining that create neurotransmitters yeah. that move up the vagus nerve that actually change brainwave activity during moments of stress to improve stress coping mechanisms, yeah. right? So it goes so far as to prevent mm -hmm. the escalation of HPA activation, yeah. prevent the leakiness of the gut from mm -hmm. cortisol, prevent the inf inflammation that's induced by that stressor, especially the cortisol component of it. And then it also changes brainwave function, this bacterial peptidoglycan, right? Wow. So that's the component that we really grabbed onto and said, okay, that's the second yeah. part to this story, right? First part is we're dealing with LPS. You've got yeah. to stop LPS moving through. Yeah. Second part is we've got to get a handle on the uh, inflammation-driven stress response and continuous HPA activation. So that's the second part, and it's mind-boggling uh, what we're seeing now when people use utilize the product. That's amazing what you just shared and so relevant, like you said. Um, and I just see, like, again, 10 years ago when some of this started, it's just exponentially. When I look up IL-6 and depression, there are mm -hmm. thousands of studies relating oh, yeah. that. And again, that's relevant to COVID because IL-6 is one of the main cytokines related to this, not only yeah. long haul, but bad outcomes. And these are all connected. Let's talk in our last few minutes about there's obviously these strains that have the proteoglycans in yeah. them, but what about the other ingredients? Because what I noticed on the bottle, let's talk about coke first and then sleep. And yeah. it made sense because I've used those ingredients, but talk just a little bit, a bit about what's in the cope and what, why did you choose these other ingredients? Yeah, so so with the we have this strain called mm -hmm. uh, Bifidobacterium seventeen fourteen. It's a very mm -hmm. unique bifidobacteria with that at what we call an exopolysaccharide. Mm -hmm. So, like the spores have this unique capability yeah. of providing this coating on itself. This is a unique strain that also coats itself with peptidoglycans, right? It's a poly exopolysaccharide. That's the source of the awesome peptidoglycans that you get in the gut when you take this the species. And that's what's doing all of the checkpointing and, and, and uh, bringing down the cortisol and improving sleep, changing the brainwave function. We have, a, we have two studies showing that when you get exposed to this bacterial peptidoglycan through, the, through that species, it actually changes your brainwave to theta wave function, which is that flow state. Yeah that everyone wants to be in, right? So um, now what we did is then because the strain works both in improving sleep uh, parameters, like the time to sleep and the quality of sleep, 
And it also helps with day-to-day coping of stress um, and reduction of cortisol. It can work throughout the day, both daytime and nighttime. Now, we looked at the population and we said, okay, there's a lot of people that have issues with both sleeping and day-to-day coping, but there are some that are like, okay, I sleep fine, but during the day, I need a lot of support or during the day, I'm fine, but I really need help sleeping, right? Yeah. So, so either way, the microbe is going to help. Then what we did to distinguish the product is to utilize a couple of key ingredients that we've loved in the past. We've all within microbiome labs have used them personally. So on the sleep side, we use uh, theanine. Uh-huh. And, uh, and and theanine is just such an amazing, powerful product. I'm sure you've used I it. I love it. I use it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and we, you know, we think it pairs so well with the mechanism of action yeah. by how the, the peptidoglycan rich strain works. And so w- what we're finding in people that are using it is that they're noticing a change in their ability to fall asleep and then the quality of their sleep. In fact, what we get the most response from is the vivid dreams that people yeah. have right? Yeah. Uh, because it, you're in deeper, higher mm-hmm. quality sleep for more for longer. So we get that response within the first week or so. And then in the on the other side, we also started using uh, on the cope, um, uh, lemon balm, yes. and, uh, and saffron, right? Okay. And, and those are both such awesome, gentle, high quality ingredients with lots of studies showing their ability to kind of simmer down the sympathetic nervous system, right? Which tends to be activated in, in, in people who are dealing with stress all the time. So while the, while the uh, probiotic bacteria is working on the root cause uh, that continuous HPA activation and the gut brain inflammation, then we've got these ingredients to provide support to give more short-term immediate effect. Right. So you get a kind of a, a, a two, uh, two pronged deal here yeah. where you're dealing with the root cause. But then in the, in the meantime, you're also getting more immediate relief and more immediate effects. So that's that's kind of how we formulated it. We could have just put just the strain yeah. in there, but we really wanted to have people feel relief much sooner as well. Um, and, and when you combine the underlying root cause um, um, solution with the, with the peptidoglycan and the exopolysaccharide strain, and then these really cool herbals that are well documented, well studied, then you really get the right, you know, the most bang for your buck, really. Yeah, I am really excited because of course these are brand new. So I haven't had a huge like year of popular patients to see yet, but what I'm doing is the um, cope more during the day and the sleep, of course, at night, some people will take both. Uh, Some people will choose. And again, just interviewing them, I usually know which piece is a bigger issue, but you can take both, correct? Totally. Yeah, I've been taking both because I've been traveling a lot and traveling overseas to Europe and all that. I've been using both. Um, So you would take, if you're using both, uh, and the way that we've set up the dosing Mm -hmm. is, um, so the cope has uh, 60 caps, right? So Mm -hmm. if you were taking just the cope and you were like, I don't need the sleep help, um, then you would take two caps a day of the cope. Uh, and you take it during the day with food, um, which is totally normal with your mega spore. Um, and then if you were taking both, you would take yeah. one cap of the cope and one cap of the sleep at night. Mm-hmm. If you're taking just the sleep, you would just do one cap of sleep at night and mm-hmm. then you're, you're in a good place. Right. So um, we're finding that about 80 percent of people are taking both mm-hmm. um, and, and only about 20 percent of people are taking just the cope. Um, we don't know anyone yet that has taken just to sleep. Everybody seems to have a good amount of daytime stress. And I was going to say the era we're in, this is like yeah. irrelevant because I literally see in my, we talked right before we got on here, like 
clinic, anyone in functional medicine knows this, but our demand for services and people who are suffering, it's just exponentially rising. And a lot of it's related to the stress response because people are so under stress and we're getting pushed at all sides. So, and making decisions and family and school and kids and COVID. And so it it really, this is so relevant. What I like too is so many people like myself have the tracking rings or other devices. So like for me, when I do an intervention, I can see in real time Mm -hmm. changes. I can see the change in deep sleep, the changes in. So I'm excited as well to maybe in 30 days or 60 days, give you some feedback. Um, yes, that's awesome. We've been getting, we've been getting people reporting from their aura rings yeah. and all of that, uh, which has been super exciting. Uh, and, and keep in mind, you know, one thing that's really, really exciting and interesting here is that even though what we're looking at are, are short uh, are improvements in, in yeah. acute issues, right, that people are dealing with, um, or we're trying to get a, a quick response because this, the the species are working on the underlying root cause. You're also getting all kinds of long term health benefits yeah. by fixing that root cause problem, right? Because that right, root because cause the LPS problem, and the IL six and all the stuff you're dealing exactly. with is probably. I think I'm sure you do too. We maybe be very few, but I think LPS and endotoxemia and IL six and some of these things we're talking about are the crisis in medicine and the crisis Absolutely. in health. So we're, we're really dealing with the core because you take cardiovascular disease, obesity, metabolic syndrome, mood disorders, sleep disorders, they all relate to endotoxemia. Many of them yep. relate to excess cytokines. And so it's kind of coming together. It's not like a silo approach anymore. These There's commonalities in the mechanisms of stuff as diverse as heart disease and depression, right? Totally. It all comes yeah. together. So totally. uh, this yeah. is as always, so, so fascinating. Um, so excited to share your products with the patients and listeners and everything. And um, just super excited. Anything else? Last time we talked, we talked about these being on the horizon and now they're out. Yeah, now um, they're there. So we will be watching for good results in our patients. Anything else on the horizon? Um, are you looking at more ways to deal with inflammation and mood? Anything else that we should be looking towards in the future? Where the company? Yeah, we, we actually have uh, two very unique strains coming out. Uh, mm-hmm. One that's coming out by mm-hmm. the end of the year is called PyloGuard. Mm-hmm. And this is a lactobacilli, uh, but an attenuated lactobacilli. So it's not alive. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's a it's a postbiotic or ghost probiotic, yeah. right? And it has a very strong affinity to bind up H. pylori in your stomach. Wow! Right? And we know, and and we're from from doing microbiome studies and tests, we think H. pylori is a really under um, you know under thought of yes yeah Yeah. forgotten um driver of so many conditions right and and it's so prevalent uh more than 50 percent of the population has infectious levels of it Mm -hmm. uh of course most people knew about it through peptic ulcers and things like that but but now the studies are coming out that there's a lot more it's even most recently a study came out showing its correlation to prostate cancer right and so it just screws up the entire digestive system starting in the stomach, right? Starting at the very front of it. And so to us, H. pylori is a massive, massive issue. And, and, and the treatments for it are super aggressive, right? The triple therapy yeah. uh, that's super aggressive and that has all kinds of other implications to it. So for us, the idea is like, okay, is there a first line, yeah. more gentle way of trying to go about reducing those uh, the numbers. And Absolutely. so here is a probiotic strain that actually will, will get, will disperse in the stomach. And then, and then it has an affinity to grab onto and bind H. pylori 
take that whole complex out so you can defecate it out without touching anything else or damaging anything else, right? Amazing. It's a mind-blowing probiotic strain yeah. I mean, when you think about it. And in that same vein, we have another one coming out called Mega Metallic. And the reason it's called Mega Metallic is because heavy metals are another big issue that we're dealing with, right? Yeah. A big congressional report just came out. I think it was the beginning of this year showing how all of these kids' foods and baby yeah. foods are just laced with crazy amounts of lead and other heavy metals. Of course, so many households in the U.S. still have lead pipes and yeah. all that, right? So lead is a really, really uh, big problem in terms of toxicity and, of course, impacts the microbiome. We have a species of bacteria, again, attenuated, doesn't have to be alive, that can go into the gut and actually bind up all of the lead and yeah. arsenic and cadmium from the, from the liquid, from the diet, from the foods that you're eating, and take it out of the system. Wow. Right, I so. can't wait to hear. I, this is fantastic because, again, two huge problems as clinicians. Yeah. Those are two things that I deal with every day, and they're not easy to treat. So, yeah. as always, I love your cutting edge approach. Um, Kieran, thank you. Thank you for your time, for your expertise, for your work. Always a joy to spend time with you. We will continue sharing, and um, thank you all so much for joining us today.